today's episode, we're going to look at intelligence analysis, what intelligence is, how do we collect and gather that, and how do we sift through it, analyze it, and determine the veracity, the accuracy, and the importance of this information. These are techniques that you can use in your everyday life, whether it's on the job or in your personal life, but we're going to use current events, the overwhelming amount of information that is out there now with the ongoing pandemic. How do we sort through that? How do we determine what is true, what is not, and how do we make decisions and look at them objectively without any bias to the best of our ability to be critical thinkers and not let our emotions or anything else overwhelm us or change our opinions or cause fear? Today is about collecting intelligence and analyzing it in order to come up with an end state theory or solution right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. This is Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight, Episode 10, Collecting and Analyzing Intelligence. You may hear some background noise as it's finally a nice day here where I'm at. It hasn't been very warm lately, so I got the window open, got some birds in the background, and there may be some other vehicle sounds in the distance. Hopefully some new toys I got coming. I might actually have a little better quality podcast production, at least how the voice sounds. That's what I'm hoping for in the next few episodes. We'll see. So for those that are new to the show or to recap, what I do is take the tips, techniques, practices, regular trivia from the world of intelligence, including sometimes just storytelling, and try to give you things that you can put into practice on your own. And I try to relate them to common everyday activities or current events, which is why for this we'll be using a lot of examples on news and media reporting, as well as medical professionals and experts where we're getting and hearing information related to COVID-19, known as the coronavirus, and how we sift through that, determine what's accurate, what is or isn't true, what is a good piece of information, and what is not. This process is about analyzing information to try to tell a story and figure out not really just what's happening, but what other information do I need to make decisions. So to start with, what we have to look at what intelligence is and is not. People tend to think intelligence is a thing, a noun, and it's not, it's a verb. Intelligence is a process. We have a thing called the intelligence cycle. So intelligence is more than just the information. Now, as simple as this seems to some people, it can get confusing. A simple example is there was a documentary with Donald Rumsfeld some years ago where he does talk a little bit about intelligence and says some very important things. One of the things he made a statement on that really kind of got people was he said, if it was truth, it wouldn't be intelligence, which was an interesting statement. But that is a fact. It's a process that made in more simpler terms as that we, in one form or another, are able to obtain some information. That information is analyzed and assessed. It's compared to other information, which leads us to not only more accurate or new conclusions or information on a particular subject. So we'll say, for example, looking for a bad guy and then figuring out what intel gaps are there, meaning what holes are there in the information? What things do I want to know that I don't have? And then determining how do we get that information? What specific questions need to be asked? And then it's a continuous, continuous process. This is what makes the current pandemic an actual good subject to use. So regardless of your opinion on politics or what people do or do not say, one of the things we see in this country is Currently, it looks like the president and his team are coming out every day and giving a sort of briefing, and a lot of the experts are covering certain things. Part of the reason for that 
is it works a lot like intelligence because they're getting intelligence on a new subject. There's a lot of people collecting information, researching it, analyzing it, and using their best expert opinion and experience to work with other people and figure out what is the next step? Where is this going? And it's because the situation is constantly developing and changing. This is exactly how it works in intelligence with any information, terrorist group, or any combat situation. So if we compare this virus to, say, a terrorist, a bad guy that we want to stop, we collect information on him, we find out Bob's over here, Bob's doing bad things, we have witnesses, information, but we try to track that information daily and get constant new information because things evolve and change. So just like this virus, people move around. They move to different locations. Things might change about their appearance and how they behave, and we do our best to try to not only mitigate that, but identify it in order to get in and finally capture Bob and stop him from being a bad guy, which is a very good comparison in my thought process to what's happening right now with this virus. So how do we do this? Well, first thing is collecting information. Single source reporting is a bad, bad thing. What that means is you've got one source of information that even if you believe is verifiable and accurate, you don't have any other points of view, any other angles coming in, or as we call in the intelligence world, different lenses. Plus, that piece of information could be at the macro level, very high, or at the micro level where it could even be too small. So an example of this is when we went into Iraq, many of you remembered about botched intelligence. You can go back and look this up. It was single source reporting. One guy giving us information and we started going to places and finding out that not only was his information wrong, some of the things he was telling us could have never possibly been true. And that's the problem with single source reporting. Now in our country, our known mass media are big outlets. To me, they're all pretty much the same. No matter what your opinions are on them, they all kind of deliver news in the same way whether it's news or not. So one thing we look at is the source. What is the source? Now, I'm not here to trash on media or journalists. I'm just going to look at it from a very simple point of view. When certain laws changed, which I don't remember what they were, and allowed medias to do advertising, they moved and changed into a different world to where our media is now a for-profit business. That's why so much of it is politically aligned. Now, that doesn't mean all the information they're giving is bad. There's a lot of stuff they put out that's not politically aligned, but a lot of it is. And that's something to keep in mind. That doesn't mean that the story they tell isn't true or isn't factual. But what it could mean is it's being tailored a certain way to where information is either being exaggerated or just being left out to form a story. It's because they're a for-profit business. They have customers and they make money. And unfortunately, that's the reality of the news in this country. In the same way, we have countries where news is controlled by their governments. And they may very well put out information that is accurate, but they will do the same things. They will tailor it to their benefit for what they want and the message they want to get across. It's used as a tool instead of a form of sharing information, which to me is what the news probably should be. So regardless of opinions on the news, if you are a person that likes to watch news, especially the live video feeds, or maybe you read articles from news outlets, I would expand your base of sources. Now, there are several ways to do this. I'm going to tell you how I do it, and this is what I do in my own research and training and when I work with especially DOD and intelligence professionals when we analyze current events. I'm going to tell you how I do it. You could do it this way, but what you can also do is translate this idea to whatever platform or medium that you use. So while I do watch the news on occasion, what I actually follow the news on is Twitter. 
The first reason I do that is, like most platforms, I get the headline. I get the tagline, the words that are used, even if it's clickbait on whatever the story or article or video is going to be about. Then at the option of the poster or the company, they can throw in a few words because there's a character limit without getting too crazy on saying what this is for, what's it about. I don't go look at people's replies or comments. I don't follow the uh, trending things that much unless it's something that sparks my interest. I just do simply that is follow news agencies. Now, I not only follow news agencies in this country, I get my news in varying forms. One thing is I follow news outlets and as many as I can find in several countries around the world that I follow. So, for example, if you're interested in learning about North Korea, you may find it an interesting fact that they have Twitter accounts for their media outlets. Another thing I do is follow world leaders because a lot of world leaders will put out information that's related to current events, whether it's the economy or in this situation, COVID. They'll talk about military actions, stuff in their country. And I follow presidents, parliamentary leaders, prime ministers, vice presidents in several locations around the world. I also follow military leaders, like high-level guys equivalent to like our Secretary of Defense or Joint Chiefs or Chiefs of Staff. And I follow them in several countries around the world. And the majority of the accounts I follow, or at least a good half of them, are in a lot of third-world countries or countries that we wouldn't call allies or a lot of locations that have terrorist or terrorist-sponsored stuff because it's in line with what I do. Now, if you're interested in the stuff I follow, understand a lot of it has nothing to do with this podcast or current events. It's just my own interests or the jobs that I've had in the past. But you can go to my Twitter account, which is linked in the show notes. You don't have to follow me. It doesn't give me anything, but you can go in there and see what I follow. There's a few other random things or things for my own enjoyment, but you can see the leaders and news outlets and organizations I follow around the world. Now, I do this for a couple of reasons. One is, a lot of these countries have opinions on things going on in America. And we put out a lot of opinions about things going on around the world, but I like to get it, as they say, from the horse's mouth. So when I followed a lot of Brexit stuff, I referenced a lot of not only Britain media, what's going on there and say London and the surrounding areas, but also other parts of Europe, as well as major trading partners. How was Brexit going to affect this? What were these countries or news outlets or agencies saying to their people? And that gave me other points of view, other lenses. Some of it is very local and specific. Sometimes it's very broad. And it gives you more information from different angles to try to put together an assessment, a story of how things are going to play out. Now, before I go any further, I'll just say, depending on how much time you have and how much you put into the news and what credibility you choose to give it, you can already see that this could be a lot of information. And there's going to be a lot more that I'm going to talk about. So a lot of this depends on your abilities and how much time you have. But if this is something you're looking into, and at the time of this recording, you're somebody that's at home, not working from home, has some time on their hands, and you're interested in it, this would be a good opportunity to go in and do that. If you're new to Twitter, you can create a free account. You can go in there and just follow people, just like following people on Facebook. You don't ever have to post anything, and you can just get whatever the people or organizations you're following. They'll just pop up in your feed, similar to Facebook. Uh, One of the differences, you don't necessarily automatically see comments or retweets, and then you can just click on those leaks or search on Google or whatever platform you use for more information on that subject. Now, it can be hard to try to identify the biases or views of an organization. And what's even harder for a lot of us is to realize the biases and opinions we have. So if you have an opinion about a major news outlet in this country where you think they take this position 
And let's say that what you're saying is accurate. That's the overall general view of how that agency or company works. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. First thing, though, is recognizing that. Because what our bias will do will drive us to believe that that's tailored to every single thing that they create, which is not always fair. It will always come down to the individual journalist or author that's writing that. So instead, what I do when I especially read an article, so the first thing I look at as I'm reading it and I finish that story or I hear something on the news or something, even the president or any other team come out and say, when it's a piece of information like that, if I can tell what their views and biases are, I don't consider it news. That doesn't make the information bad. But if I watch any media outlet and they talk about anything related to a president or elected official, regardless of that official's party or the politics of that company, if you can see that they're putting out a bias and an opinion and trying to make that person look good or bad that has nothing to do with the information at hand, I don't consider that news. That's my opinion, but that's how I keep a check on myself to look for not only their biases, but to make sure I'm watching out for my own. Now, why do I do that? This is exactly what we do when we collect intelligence. Whether we have what we call a walk-in source, guy shows up, knocks on the gate and says, hey, I got some info for you. Or we go out in the community as intelligence professionals and we just talk to the local public or we meet people. Or we have an actual controlled asset that we meet with regularly and perhaps have on the payroll. We look at the information they're giving us as well as that individual all the time to find out what are their motivations, what are their biases, what is their level of credibility, and how do they know this information to be true. And that's exactly how I look at the news. So when we say, how do you know this to be true, one of the examples we get from a source is when and where they got this information. So if we're looking for Bob the terrorist, like organizations are all the time, and somebody says, I know Bob is here. Okay, how do you know that be true? Well, I go there every Wednesday and I saw him there a month ago. Well, then we know that presuming we can prove this information or that we have reason to believe that they're credible, we can put the veracity and accuracy of that information to one month ago. If another guy comes in and tells the same story but says, I saw him yesterday and I heard them talking that they're going to be there next Wednesday, that's a lot more accurate. It's a lot more current and, of course, can change between now and next Wednesday. But that also gives us a future location to look for that person. So what we're doing here is when we want to know how they know this to be true, we're taking this source and asking ourselves or them, what is your source? Now, this also translates especially to written articles. Whether or not it's mass media, if it's anything you would consider news or even knowledge sharing, what is their source? And what they should have in those articles or near the end is some sort of bibliography links to other articles, links to maybe, in this case with coronavirus, it could be links to information given out by either an elected official or it could be the guy that runs the CDC. It could be to a study at a university. And so we want to look at where are you getting your information, how current is it, and what are those sources. And then you have to evaluate those sources in the same process. How did you come to this position and idea? What is your credibility in this specific question or answer that we're looking at? And how are you developing or analyzing that information? So this process is ongoing and goes every layer deep to every source and piece of information that's supporting your original source to find out, are these guys even drawing a good conclusion? 
And even if we believe or happen to just know for sure that what they're saying is wrong, the information they got, is it reasonable they could have came to this conclusion based on their knowledge and experience in this subject and where they're getting the information? Now, why is this important when it comes to anything we would call media or the news? Well, while I'm sure many of them out there have other forms of experience and education, I'm fairly confident most of them are not experts or even amateur paid professionals or ever have been in a lot of the things that they report on, which is why they rely heavily on their own experts. So we have to say, are we being swung by our own biases? Is this reporter in a situation believing certain things because they just equate credibility to credentials? Or sometimes you'll see people come on the news that aren't dissimilar from an expert in a criminal trial proceeding. Are they on the payroll? Do they work for that company? Do they work for that lawyer? Because if you're not aware of it, a lot of experts that get brought onto trials are paid to be there. Now, while they are professionals with ethics and depending on their field may have taken oaths, one thing to consider is there is an underlying bias if they're paid to be there because we don't know how much self-control they have or how much ethics they follow. And this is why when we see trials or even when you see them on TV, you get this expert over here and you get the same expert on the other side from the same field and they give completely different points of view. And it's like, how could that even be possible if you're both experts in this field? Part of it's because of that bias. They're paid to come to that conclusion. Now, I'm not saying that's there all the time, but that is a reality we need to accept and really analyze. Does the paycheck affect this? Now, if we move on to other areas like what we would call alternative media, podcasters that do media or bloggers or maybe people that just have hobbies or some training and background in a certain subject or field, perhaps it's a group of people who like to get together and discuss topics and share their own stories and experience and beliefs on a particular subject, which is not uncommon right now with the coronavirus and it happens all the time. In all walks of life, especially in places like YouTube and Facebook where people do group chats, the process is still the same. One thing you're looking at is what are their credentials and expertise in this field. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody has expertise and credentials that they're automatically going to be right, but it leads to more credibility on their ability to speak intelligently on a subject. If somebody doesn't have that, it doesn't mean that they're an idiot and they don't know what they're talking about. It also doesn't mean they should be scrutinized more necessarily, but what it does mean is you should pay more attention to where are you getting this information. Because there tends to be, not 100% of the time, but there tends to be a correlation of where an expert in anything will reference things like their experience, their training, and other sources that are exports or training in that specific area to use for their argument. Whereas people that are not experts, that are relying heavily on their own opinions, thoughts, and beliefs, tend to, but not all the time, back that information up more with emotion, opinion that's baseless, or even conspiracy theory. So those are things to be aware of. It's almost like a checklist of things. What should I pay attention to more based on who this person is? And then with both of these types of people we're looking at in this example, the other thing is when they share with you their sources, how do you evaluate those sources? Can you find that information? How are they doing it? Why are they doing it? What are they saying this way? You could take this and compare it to, say, the education system, like at the collegiate level in classes, especially with things that are emerging sciences, things that change and evolve. You could find a similar class at two different schools, and there's things in that class they're teaching differently. Now, the question is why? 
Is it a subject or material where perhaps politics matters? Is it a subject or material where it's very fluid, where it's more about thought and argument and coming up with that? Or is it something that's more solid in the developing world, like say technology? And is this class teaching it this way because they don't have that information or not allowed to update it yet, whereas this class is cutting edge? Now, does that make one training better than the other? Not necessarily. It depends on the specific field. But these are questions we ask ourselves to validate that information. What is the accuracy of that information? How do they know it to be true? How credible is that based on any other piece of information? This is why we not only ask those questions, but we get multiple sources. Another thing you can do is even if you maintain a source, like I used to maintain sources or assets that were people, even if I use them constantly and listen to what they had to say, even when I'm at the point where I decide they have proven themselves and I will always continually check their information because that's just what I do and the job requires it, but I will put a lot more credibility to listening to them and exploring new ideas that start to sound crazier. I look at what sources do they have that even if they don't know it, I can follow and research on my own. How I do that now as an example with this virus is we're hearing numbers every day. We have amount of people that are infected that are active cases. We have people that have recovered and fortunately people that have died. And while there's a couple places out there, one you probably heard on the news is about a tracker that Johns Hopkins has. Now I've seen this tracker and it updates several times a day. I am aware that it exists and I have looked into where they're getting this information. Common sense dictates that people are changing all the time. This stuff's spreading. There's a time delay on how one country or one organization is getting the numbers. We know people are getting sick. Things are changing. More test kits are getting out there. So I know that it's probably as accurate as it can be, but it's not like to the minute. So there's a small variation is the way I look at it to its accuracy, but it's what most people are using. So when I hear somebody mention that on the news or any form of media or alternative media, just because I know it exists and I know where it is, I just don't take it for granted that what they're saying is accurate. I don't know that that's where they're getting it. If they are, I don't know when the last time they looked at it is. Or if it's a news person, maybe that news person didn't just go look on the laptop sitting there waiting to go live. Maybe they have a team of people in the background. They're giving that information. And maybe the guy that gave it to him gave it to him based on what he saw an hour ago or even 10 minutes ago, but it's already updated. Now, I don't think those numbers are that significant, but this is how serious I take it when I look at that information. So even though I still listen to them as they provide that information, I go look at the website and check the numbers just to see what do they look like right now. Sometimes it matches what that person says, and sometimes it's slightly altered. Now, you can do this with almost anything that's said about any subject. So when I hear people on the television talking about General Motors volunteering some of their facilities and what they're doing, and I don't recall off the top of my head what it is, how they're assisting, or that there's other companies, and they give the names or locations that are now starting to create hand sanitizer or the companies that want to create some of the ventilators. I think that's great, but I don't take anybody's word for it that it's actually already happening. I go and look it up. Are they doing this? Have they reported this information? What progress is being made? One of the things we heard come out in the last week was the Defense Production Act and how they're trying to ramp up creating certain materials to get them out there. And it's great. I hear what they're saying, but I went and looked the law up. Now, when you look something up like that, you can get to a simple Wikipedia page and get a pretty decent overview. But then I go and try to find the actual document and sift through it and look for a specific piece of information I'm interested in. Now, there's a couple things you can do based on what I've mentioned. One is when you look up a document like that, if you're looking up 
anything that's a document that's a PDF file or you can convert to PDF, I would do that and save it. The reason why is most programs on a PDF will have a search function for those who are not aware of it, where you can search for specific words or phrases and just hit usually the enter button to scroll through a large document to find the more specifics what you're looking for instead of having to use your mouse and go through what could potentially be hundreds of pages. Another thing to do is be aware of not just Wikipedias, but what they call wikis in general and understand how they work. So when you look up something like this and you go to a Wikipedia page, that's not necessarily a bad piece of information. It's actually a good place to get an overview. And what's nice about them is when you go to the bottom, they tend to put in not only links of where they're getting their information, but they're typically dated of when they were written. And you can use those to reference to multiple locations. Also know that any type of wiki, especially like Wikipedia, is authored by many different people. Even yourself, you could go in and try to be an author on Wikipedia. Now, while they all have probably some varying rules, they generally work the same. You have to prove to them to their satisfaction your level of expertise in an area. And then you're allowed to go in and either create or edit existing documents. That's why they change. So like anything, they are created by people. You have to check the veracity of that information, click those links, figure out where they're coming from. And it also depends on what you're looking at. So at this point, if you were to do all this, you've got input coming from all kinds of places you either didn't think of or haven't used before. So using the coronavirus, you could have news articles and agencies from multiple locations around the world not to mention all these world leaders that are discussing the coronavirus. You could go in and follow agencies like FEMA, the CDC, equivalent agencies in other countries, and see what are they saying. Now, why that's a lot of information, what it gives us is a lot of points of view from different professionals in different fields, some elected, some not elected, some are just news agencies passing off information. And we're getting all this input from all these different lenses, all these different angles, from the macro to the micro, and it's a ton of stuff to sift through. So what do we do? We do what's called pattern analysis. When intelligence agencies in the military look for bad guys, Bob the terrorist overseas, they try to evaluate his pattern of life based on all this intelligence. How is he moving? What is he doing? What's important to him? Where has he been before? And we use that to contribute to the targeting of whether or not we're going to capture them, kill them, or just follow them to gain more information. The same thing here is looking for patterns. What information are we finding not only consistent from experts, elected officials, and news agencies, but are also consistent with information we're getting in other locations around the world? In comparison, if I was still working in the intelligence field and I was collecting information on a target, I may not be getting it from other locations around the world, but I might be getting it from other intelligence collectors, which could be other military intelligence branches and other governments, other allied nations. It could be other intelligence agencies I don't work for. Same idea. Now we do this and let's say we identify some consistencies and I'm going to put these out there as hypothetical. There are things that have been talked about, but I'm not saying they're the ones that are consistent. I'm just trying to stick with the idea of the current event and use relevant subjects. So one example might be the incubation period. It's been talked about a lot and you may find a consistent pattern. Now, the thing is about the pattern, it doesn't mean everybody's picking a number. You may find, if you research incubation period just using the sources we've talked about, you will have heard things like 14 days earlier on. You may find out that that number's changed. Now, the question you have to ask yourself, if that number changed, does that mean we were lied to like a lot of people say? Does that mean people didn't know? Or does that mean that over a period of days or weeks, with the rate of of infection spreading with all these other agencies and medical professionals getting involved studying this, trying to combat it, that they've come up 
just because of test subjects, test subjects being people that unfortunately have gotten infected and the information and data we've collected, they're able to analyze that while it could go for 14, perhaps the incubation change to a shorter period of time. So you want to make sure when you see changes, it doesn't mean the information is bad. It may have evolved, which is why I started out talking about how things evolve and change. We can also look at how it's transmitted. What is the difference between an airborne transmission and a non-airborne transmission where it's sent through moisture and droplets like they're talking about? Why are some people saying airborne and some people saying not? Have you researched the difference? But using these ideas, let's say you find a pattern of transmission where it looks like it's being transmitted predominantly in a certain way and people tend to agree on that. Do remember, I'm just using a current event. You can apply this to any subject you're researching. So let's say we develop a pattern of evolution of, let's say, incubation period, and we develop a pattern that hasn't really changed for transmission, which is just a hypothetical. Now, at this point, we're not deciding if something's even true. This is when we actually start looking into it ourselves. All we've done up at this point is identified multiple sources, collected the intelligence or the information that we want to put into the intelligence cycle, and isolate patterns that we can now evaluate and research to determine how accurate they are. Now, how do we do that? Well, there's two simple ways to do this, although there are many more. One is, for the thing you're researching, do you personally know experts or somebody that's at least in the field with some amount of training on that that can provide you from their perspective, experience, and training, their point of view or professional opinion on that piece of information? That can be very helpful. Just look at them in an unbiased view, whether they're a subordinate, a supervisor, a peer, a friend, a family member, look at them as a source of information. It's nothing personal. It's just what is their credibility? What are their biases? And where are they coming up with this? What is their supporting information that you may also go and choose to look into? The other thing is just conducting our own research, which is predominantly done on the internet now. So how do we do that? One of the things I looked at with incubation period is I talked to an expert, a person to me that is has some training and knowledge in the medical field that does understand that stuff. And based on my own interaction with them, have proven their medical knowledge in the areas I've needed help with in the past. And I also have another friend who was a medic in the military and studying to become a doctor who chose not to do that, but does have some understanding on things about virology. That didn't necessarily give me things that I was just sold on. What it gave me was their expert opinion based on their level, how they're coming up with that. And it gave me a whole host of ideas and things to go look up and learn more about myself. That's what the experts are really for when it's related to developing research and answers, when collecting intelligence. Then I just do my own general research on the subject. For example, have you looked up how do viruses work? What is the range and typical range of incubation periods? How has it worked with the other versions of the coronavirus? What other viruses in history have been studied and how recently and how have they determined this information? Now, why that, of course, would lead into things like research and specific studies and things that are being done and developed now on COVID-19, you may just happen across that stuff because I'm sure the internet is littered in the first 10 pages of Google or Yahoo with anything related to viruses connected to corona or COVID that's been documented or talked about by experts, non-experts, you know, armchair experts, conspiracy theorists, and elected officials. That's going to be all over the place. 
So at this point, what we've done is pick some sources of information. We're looking at our own biases and their biases, trying to be objective and sort that out and get rid of our own biases. The biases we're really looking to combat, although there are many of them, one is confirmation bias. So like I said, you may have an opinion about a source of information being a media outlet. Confirmation bias will lead you to believe and you'll find a way to prove that that is true in anything you read. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to be objective, perhaps even give them the benefit of the doubt. We just want to look at their information, identify their biases and where they're getting this. We do this from different sources. So we've used the example of elected officials, medical experts, and the mass media related to COVID-19 being the subject matter since it's a current event. So we've got this information, we've identified biases so we can decide how much credibility we want to put on stuff. We're looking at the experts people are using. Is it their job and they're related to this field or is it somebody that's a paid or hired expert? We're looking at that kind of information. We're identifying, locating, or talking to our own experts or people with some amount of knowledge that they can speak intelligently on a subject we're researching, as well as our own research and evaluating it the same way. And then we get all this information and we do it through analyzing patterns to figure out what we want to ask and research on our own. This is the point where we've used multiple sources, spent most of our energy evaluating that source and their thoughts and opinions more than the actual information because we want to get multiple pieces of information. So we evaluate the source, we get all this information, the information will help us identify patterns. Through the patterns, we pick the specifics we want to know more about. We talk to experts, and we also do our own research and find answers to those questions about specific pieces of information. It's at this point we start to build our assessment on a piece of information where we're going through the intelligence cycle and we build our assessment which in this situation using, say, incubation period might be enough information where we're pretty happy saying, here's what the information says the incubation period is now and then how it may have evolved or changed over time. And you now can back that up and have more confidence in that view, even if you already had it, because you've gone through the process of collecting information from multiple sources that you've applied evaluation to to determine at what level they can be trusted or credible which doesn't mean you only pick the ones you find most credible. Like I said, even if somebody doesn't seem to have the experience or credibility, they could still have good information. So we're assessing the source to determine the credibility or value of that piece of information. That doesn't mean we're wiping that information out. So even if it looks bad, it's the same way it works in Intel. It goes into the process because we might find out later that there are people out there that are highly rated, as we would say, that they're valuable, they're credible, historically accurate, that actually are telling you a piece of information that matches one source that you got from that you determined probably wasn't credible. Maybe they got lucky or maybe they followed this cycle themselves. That's why you don't want to wipe those out. You just want to be aware of it. And you've gone through this process. You've evaluated sources, collected information, identified patterns, done your own research to come up with this analysis. This is how the process generally works in simpler terms. And this is how I think people should look at information, whether it's the media or not. This is exactly how you should look at the information if all you're doing is doing research and reading literary articles, medical journals, and studies on viruses or even this specific virus, using this as a subject matter. If all you're doing is following accounts and watching videos that are from doctors and subject matter experts in this, 
it still applies the same way. Now, why it may not follow the exact pattern in the exact order, this is very similar to how people do their own research papers or essays in college. They look for what they're after. What is my subject I'm writing on, whether it's an essay in high school or a doctoral thesis. They look for sources of information. The author takes their existing knowledge, experience, and training and uses that in conjunction with the research to evaluate the accuracy and validity of the source of information they're getting to ensure it either meets their high standards or just so that they can apply a proper valuation to it to see if it's going to be significant enough to matter. They collect all this stuff up, they look for patterns, they write up their paper, which is really their analysis, their process of analysis, where they come up with their overall assessment whether it proves or disproves a theory, whether it's just an article on a specific subject, a developing science, doesn't matter what it is. It's the same idea. Through that process, it can end up taking more time as they identify what we call intel gaps, missing pieces of information. It might just be missing pieces they were never even looking for in the first place that came through the development of that document or that assessment. And then they submit that assessment to somebody, in this case, a teacher. In the intel world, they're submitting that assessment to some decision maker or maybe just to a supervisor that's building a bigger assessment. And then the cycle continues. Maybe it starts over. And through this process, other people look at it. They look for other information. They have more data. They start to get more specific, narrow things down if that's what they're looking for, whether it's to find solutions to this pandemic, identify and capture Bob the terrorist, or have more accurate information that's more solid and beneficial to this thesis I'm writing on a specific subject. Now, this is a lot, and for some people it's too much, and it takes time. It takes how much time you're able to put into it. And the thing is, if you can't put a lot of time into this, it's not your fault. We have lives, we have families, we have jobs. But at the times you can, you can feel more confident in the decisions you're making, and you may even find that your mind changes on some stuff. That's the important part of information. That's where our own biases and ego come in. Can I set that aside enough to where when I get information in that's different, that's logical, that has a pattern from multiple sources I've evaluated that actually could change my views and opinions on subjects? That happens all the time. But can we allow that to actually happen? We've all probably done it with some piece of information at some sort of time in our life, and I'm sure we've seen other people do it. And the biggest thing we'll usually see, especially in this country, is it's always connected to, whether it's us or the other person, it's going to be connected to ego and emotion. Another thing to look at, too, going back to analyzing the patterns, one of the things we look at in this process, and understanding the intel world, there's a bunch of people involved in this. There's a bunch of people collecting information. There's a bunch of people analyzing it. Some people are looking and analyzing it related or same things in different organizations because it's part of the job or part of where they're at. That's just the nature of the beast. So, of course, it's a little more difficult and time-consuming when we're just doing it all by ourselves. One of the things to look for in patterns is it a recycled pattern. Now, that's not necessarily good or bad. Sometimes there's recycled patterns of life that we find from an individual or in this case, let's say one of these terrorist targets, where we realize it's a recycled pattern. This individual we're looking for, we've established a certain pattern and realized this matches a pattern of, say, the last guy that he replaced. But the question we ask ourselves then, is he in fact repeating that pattern? Or is somebody giving us information on the last guy and selling it as this guy in order to get paid? 
So we have to evaluate that. So it can be good or bad. I see this a lot in conspiracy theories. I was recently talking to somebody about conspiracy theories where there are some conspiracies, some of these bigger ones involving this virus that has to do with economies collapsing and world governments and most of the bigger ones, somehow they find a way to tie it in. And there's some places where people are considered credible that are not that write some of these conspiracy theories. And some individuals I work with on occasion or talk to have identified some recycled patterns. What we saw is the basic overarching story of a lot of this stuff has been told many times before. The only thing that was changed was the subject being the virus, the dates, and the elected officials. We're seeing the same evolution of conspiracy patterns. I'm not saying they can't be true or that there might be some truth in some of it or that eventually it will happen. All I'm saying is right now, the stuff I've looked at, the development and evolution of the conspiracy follows within a week to the same timeline of some other events. So for those who remember the Jade Helm exercise, the evolution of conspiracy and things that were said about that match 90 to 100% of the conspiracies I've themed now. So that's something to pay attention to is conspiracies. Now, am I saying conspiracies are bad? Oh, hell no. When you work in the intel field, especially when you're doing any analytical work, we teach people to be conspiracy theorists, get them to think outside the box, go way beyond the idea of biases and stuff we've talked about today and move into the realm of how crazy can you make this sound? How ridiculous can you make this sound? And then can you find a way that that possibly could be true? And there's people that do that in order to identify other situations and patterns we may not have seen to develop information or identify other intelligence that we didn't realize was there. The difference is, though, you're taking people that know how to do this analytical work or given that an assignment and know how to evaluate information and use that thought process to prove or disprove what could potentially happen to add to the process, the assessment, to determine what we're really going to say, what we're going to develop, what we're going to look for in information later. That varies widely from the average, what we'll just call a conspiracy theorist, who follows something and thinks something's going to happen. That's where we tend to find a repetitive recycle of a conspiracy that doesn't make any sense. However, that doesn't mean all conspiracies are bad, as I've said. In fact, if you're into conspiracies, if the website still exists, there was one called AboveTopSecret.com. I used to go on there all the time when I did Intel work just to see what kind of information was being released to see if there's anybody out there that follows the thinking process like we do in the Intel world that has come up with an idea or theory we haven't considered that we should look into, which has happened on occasion. Another thing we see from conspiracies is that they actually sometimes have some good researched information. And based on what they have, they come up with their assessment that is very reasonable based on the information they have. What usually discounts it is in a specific conspiracy, you might get somebody involved or who views that material that is a legitimate expert in the field. Then based on their knowledge, experience, access to information that the person doesn't have, they could very easily prove or sometimes disprove that theory. The problem is when it comes to the negative. Some of the earlier podcasts I talked about when you leave oppression, one of the things where we de-escalate and be nice to people is they tend to remember the negatives. This is why when it comes to any theory or opinion, it doesn't even have to be conspiracy. When somebody challenges it, it's a negative feeling. And for some people, it hurts even more if that person is not just logical, but they are an expert who can back it up. And sometimes it seems like an individual defend it to their dying breath and not look anything up because it offends them because of their ego. And that's what we have to look out for in ourselves. You may see it in other people all the time, and a lot of times you can't really influence them. 
But that's the biggest thing we want to look at for ourselves because that's your bias speaking loudly. That's your emotions and your ego and it clouds our judgment and ability to do assessments and research on any piece of information. I do want to add in, especially about that website, AboveTopSecret.com, still exists. I haven't looked at it in a long time. And you're, I'm positive you're not going to find out what it is. But there was a couple of things on there, three things. I remember two of them off the top of my head. Anyway, that were conspiracy theories. One or two of them had to do with, I think, equipment or something. And then at least one had to do with a current event. And what's interesting about this is they are scarily accurate. In fact, one of them that some of us saw, we actually were at the point where we reported it to this military agency that investigates intelligence leaks and that type of information. Because based on our own knowledge, experience, and access, clearance, that type of stuff, there was no way this got out unless somebody like leaked it or was breaking the law. We, we just couldn't believe it. Turns out it wasn't even that case. Somebody just got really lucky. And it, it surprised me. It amazed me. And it was that event that got me more into actually that website and other ones like it. And then a few years ago, um, I've talked about this before but on my YouTube show, but I used to work with this program, uh, training intelligence professionals to work with certain joint task force. And in that process, we would interview military officers. And we're in there one day with this board of people. We're interviewing this military officer. We have the program director. And I'm in there as an evaluator doing a specific role. And then we had a very senior member of a task force that was on the board that day. During this process, a question was asked, and this one officer started answering the question that had to do with what he thinks we should be doing. And I can't really get too specific, but he said some things, and it was like a mic dropped in the room. So while a lot of other people didn't see it, the three of us were like, what the hell just happened? And he was given a direct order. You will come in here the next day or maybe it was after the meeting, I don't recall, and you're going to show us how you found this information out because there was no way this information was out there. And here's the thing, it was not out there. This guy took existing open source information and a couple of things he learned later were kind of huge leaps, but he actually connected the dots and was doing the analysis so well, he came up with a verifiable theory that was legit accurate. And it was crazy seeing how good he was at it. Now, there's, of course, people like that, but there's not that many. But this is why I say there are some things on there that are scarily accurate. The funny part was one of them was kind of big, and um, I don't want to say what it was, but the subject anyway. But one of the theories on it, I was like, oh, that guy's on the money. And the thing was, a lot of people on there, even these kind of bigger, I think, probably more favored conspiracy theorists, at least on that website, they thought it was so out there. They're like, that can't possibly be true. And I was like, man, you guys have no idea. So at a minimum, it's a entertaining place to go look at stuff. There's a wide range of subjects on there. But this is why I don't dismiss the idea of conspiracy thinking. It's just looking at a conspiracy theorist in this situation for, say, coronavirus, a medical expert, a news person, an elected official, a representative of a supporting agency, and then all those same positions in any other government or medical organization around the world. The process is still the same. You start by assessing the source, not the information. What is their credibility? How do they know that to be true? What is their background? What is their experience that helps you kind of classify or rate a specific piece of information, not dismiss that information? We do this with multiple pieces of information, multiple sources, so that we can identify is there a consistency? Is this guy's information that just looks and sounds so great? 
is it actually that way with everybody else? Or is this guy's information that just looks and sounds so incredible now that I'm doing this analysis project? Does it turn out there's actually sources that are very credible that are supportive of that? through which we identify our patterns. And then through those patterns, we pick the things that make more sense that we want to now research. And we do that by asking experts, doing our own research. And through that, we build our picture. We build our assessment, realizing that it's a living document. This is why intelligence is a verb. So I hope this helps you out. I hope using kind of the analogies of, say, writing a research paper or people in different fields being experts and just relating it to the ongoing just overwhelming amount of news on the coronavirus helps you at least look at things differently. Maybe you don't do it with this event, but maybe with something else in the future, you think about this and it's something that's very important to you and you do the research to figure out what it is. I know people that follow this process when they buy a television set, just doing their own research on what they want to pay for. It does apply to everything and it's how we determine what are we going to accept. So maybe that's how you need to look at it. Maybe look at it as a product you're going to buy. If that's how you research a vehicle, research the news the same way. Research the information on the subject. doesn't have to be COVID-19. It could be anything else out there. It doesn't even have to be in the news. It could just be a product you're going to buy. It could be what's happening at work. It could be the potential for a promotion. It could just be how are you going to work in the house now because you're stuck there with your husband and you want to kill him which is kind of funny because I did see an article talking about with all the quarantines going on, the baby boom that'll happen in a few months, but nobody's talking about the possible divorce rate that could increase. So anyway, I hope that this helps you. As always, I try my best to take the information I have and translate it to something you can use in everyday life and analyzing intelligence and processing it to come up with an assessment actually seemed very easy to do. I got that idea from a friend of mine today. It seemed like the best thing to do in this situation because there's so much information out there on the subject and makes it a little easier for me to draw the parallels and explain it. As always, if you like the show, please like, comment, share on whatever platform you are if you think people will be enjoyed. As always, I have links below. If you are interested in some of the news agencies I follow, just go to my Twitter link and look at who I follow. We do have the Gray Man Concepts Facebook page where almost daily we're putting out some sort of content where I'm about to build my next two or three weeks of releases of information and I'm building some notes and things that I think are a little more important to look at. I do also have the YouTube page where I've not put anything up in a while. I am looking at doing that. Some of it will be taking these podcasts. Some of them are some live shows. It's just the people I do live shows with. We are all very involved in certain aspects of things right now and our schedules don't always match up. We don't have a lot of the free time to do it. In our next upcoming episodes, I'm going to start a sort of a new mini series on a specific subject, tell you some stories and some techniques that'll actually help in your everyday life. We're going to start focusing on the general idea of interrogation, how it works, how that process works, how questioning works better, ways to build rapport with people, which some of it ties into body language. We'll look at how the military and the intelligence agencies do interrogation as well as law enforcement, compare some of the differences, talk about the techniques and tips. Translate those to things you can do in your every life, and I'll even tell you some interrogation stories, some of which I think are funny. Maybe you will too. So we look forward to seeing you again next time here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight.